Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Shift show. Well, I wouldn't really call what happened today in the bond market and in the U.S. dollar market as a St. Valentine's Day massacre. I don't know, maybe it was a slaughter, although even slaughter is too harsh a word. I mean, it was a rout, a rout, St. Valentine's Day rout. But, you know, this is really nothing compared to what's going to come. I mean, this is just a small taste of what's coming because the dollar is going to get slaughtered a lot more, and the bond market is going to get slaughtered a lot more in the days ahead. I mean, maybe not exactly tomorrow, but there are going to be days that are going to come that are going to be much worse than today. This is just the beginning. This is the tip of a huge iceberg uh, that is going to be developing. But before I get into the tail of the tape today, I mean, all the horrific economic numbers that came out today, I want to take a step back and talk about Donald Trump's budget, which was reduced which was uh, released on, on Monday. I don't know why I said reduced, because there's nothing being reduced in this budget. I mean, basically, the Republicans have now succeeded in doing something that you would have thought was impossible. They are making the Democrats look like the fiscally responsible party. Now, first of all, I guess there are some cuts in this budget that are never going to happen. And in fact, there are a lot of assumptions that uh, are saving money, like they assume the total repeal and replace of Obamacare which isn't going to happen. In fact, if it didn't happen when Republicans controlled Congress, how is it going to happen when the Democrats control Congress uh, in 2019? So this is all farcical. But, you know, one of the biggest farces of the entire budget is the underlying economic assumptions. I mean, obviously, they're assuming that the very low unemployment rate gets even lower. But the most farcical of all 
is that they assume that the economy grows uninterrupted at 3% average for the next 10 years, 10 more years. This so-called expansion is already nine years old. I mean, that makes it, I think, the second or third largest expansion in history. And if it continues this year, just this year, I think it will become the largest expansion in history. And if it had continued for another 10 years, it would be almost twice as long as the next largest economic expansion in history. What are the odds that that's going to happen? But even if that happens, even if we get 10 years of 3% economic growth, I mean, we probably won't even get one, but let's assume we got 10. Even with that, the budget doesn't balance. I mean, this is the first time the Republicans in the White House or whatever, are presenting a budget that even in 10 years doesn't balance. Now, think about this. When they were presenting budgets that had the pretense of balance in 10 years, right, and they were way off the mark, can you imagine how much further off the mark they're going to be now when they're not even pretending the budget's going to balance? But in the first couple of years, they are forecasting trillion-dollar deficits. Now, as I said on the podcast before, the last time we had trillion-dollar deficits, the Fed was doing a trillion dollars a year of QE. Right now, the Fed is still posturing that it's not going to do any QE. In fact, it's posturing that it is going to do QT, right? It is going to shrink its balance sheet. But here is going to be the big political problem. Since the Democrats are now the fiscally responsible party, they're going to be able to hang these deficits around the necks of the Republican candidates like an albatross. Now, I know a lot of people are thinking, wait a minute, Peter. I mean, Obama doubled the deficit, the national debt. There were all kinds of deficits under Obama. So how can the Democrats say that the Republicans are the big spenders and they are the fiscal conservatives? And it is very easy. You see, it's basic Keynes, right? What they're going to say is when Obama ran deficits, they were necessary because they were necessary to get us out of the recession that Bush caused by cutting taxes on the rich and for corporations, right? So they were a necessary economic stimulus to get out of the ditch that, uh, that Bush put us in with his deficits. Because after all, Clinton, a Democrat, balanced the budget and it was a great economy. He handed it over to Bush. He ran up the deficits and tank the economy. Then a Democrat comes in and has to crank up the deficits again to stimulate the economy. And now he hands a great economy off to Trump. And what does he do? He does exactly what Bush does. He wrecks the economy. He overheats it by giving tax cuts to millionaires and billionaires and wealthy, greedy corporations and blows a hole in the deficit. So the Republicans were never really fiscal hawks. It was all about politics. They never really cared about the debt because they were against deficits when Obama was trying to stimulate the economy, but they were for deficits when the economy didn't need stimulus. So they're hypocrites, right? Just like Rand Paul said, and they are dead. They have written their own obituary. This economy is going down. The markets are going down and it has taken the Republican Party down with it. Of course, as I said, the Republican Party is now the Democratic Party and it's going to elevate the Democratic Party that is now the Socialist Party. So that is what we're doing. And just when you had all this nonsense out there in the media, oh, we're going to make America great again. We're going to cut taxes. We're going to deregulate. Just when everybody was convinced that that is what's going to happen, it is the opposite of that. It is 180 degrees away from that. 
we're on the verge of a major boom in the size of government financed by inflation, financed by massive deficits, because, of course, even though the Democrats are against deficits, they're going to run them through the roof when they get the White House because they're necessary again, because we need more stimulus, because the Republicans wreck the economy. Now, the crazy thing, too, about the estimate that we're going to have you know, 3% economic growth for the next 10 years, we ain't even going to have 3% economic growth for the first quarter of this year. Remember the Atlanta Fed? We're not even going to have 4% economic growth for the first quarter of this year. Remember, it was just about two weeks ago that the Atlanta Fed was forecasting 5.4% economic growth for the first quarter. Remember, I laughed at that. I said, what are these guys smoking? I mean, they're drinking the, you know, the Trump Kool-Aid. But a lot of politicians were out there making a big deal about this 5.4% growth fantasy. Well, today, the Atlanta Fed lowered that estimate down to 3.2%. It's a 40% reduction in two weeks. And in fact, companies like J.P. Morgan today have already taken their estimates for Q1 GDP down to 2.5%. Now, I got a good feeling that we're going to end up being below 2%. So the air is already coming out of the bubble. The ink is barely dry on this farce of a budget. Of course, it hasn't even been approved. My guess is that the budget that's ultimately passed is going to include an even bigger deficit than the one that Trump is recommending, even based on all of his phony smoke and mirrors. But of course, the smoke and mirrors are still going to be there in the version he signs. So whatever deficit is being forecast, multiply it by two, and that's probably closer to what we're going to have. But let's look at some of the economic data that came out today that was behind their downward revisions to the GDP. First of all, the inflation numbers that came out. The CPI came out early this morning. It was supposed to be up by 0.3 after being up by 0.1 the prior month, December. Instead, we revised last month up from 0.1 to 0.2, and January came in at 0.5. 0.5 in one month. I mean, if you multiply 0.5 by 12, that's 6% inflation a year. And of course, it's actually more than that if you compound the increase. And I think this is a trend. This is a horrible number. Now, remember, I've talked about this on this podcast. What happened when the number was released? Gold immediately sold off to minus $12. It was up about two or three bucks before the number came out. It sold off to minus 12. Minus 12. Why? Why are people selling the dollar? Again, because they think higher inflation means the Fed's going to raise rates. So what? So what if it raises rates? It's not going to stop inflation. They would have to raise rates aggressively. They would have to move rates up faster than the inflation is increasing, and they're not. Nominal rates are falling. But of course, interest rates are prices, right? When there's inflation, prices go up. Interest rates going up, that's just another price. That's just the price of money. So when you have inflation, you expect interest rates to go up. But of course, you know, this is all bullish for gold, duh. Gold is an inflation hedge. That's what it's for. And you know what? I tweeted that out while gold was down. I said, this is ridiculous. And then you know what? Gold rallied. It was up 25 bucks. Now it closed up about 20 bucks, just above 13.50. But a $12 decline turned into a $25 rally. What is that showing? That as the idiot, morons, robotic sellers, when they see higher than expected inflation sell the dollar, people who use their brains are starting to, 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 to think and actually come into the market and say, wait a minute. 
I don't care what these algorithms or computer programs say. Inflation is good for gold, right? Especially since the Fed is not going to be able to put out this fire no matter how hot these numbers get. Same thing happened in the dollar. As soon as the number came out, the dollar index, which was slightly down, had a big rise. It was up about 0.4, right? Now, again, why is inflation, higher inflation, good for the dollar? Because what does inflation mean? The dollar is losing value. It's losing purchasing power. So what kind of computer algorithm says that the dollar losing value is a reason to want to buy it, right? The dollar is losing value, so therefore it should be worth more. Complete nonsense, right? But that's, you know, that's what happens when you trade on nonsense. You don't use your brain, right? These stupid garbage in, garbage out. But you know what happened? People thought about it. Maybe somebody saw my tweet in the trading pit and said, wait a minute, inflation is bad for the dollar. What happened to the dollar? It got hammered. One of its worst days of the year, dollar index down about 0.7, back down to an 89 even. We actually got below 89 I briefly traded with an 88 handle, almost at a new low for the year. The only market that reacted correctly the entire way was the bond market. Yields on the bonds rose, new high yield for the 10-year, closed on the high yield of the day, which means bonds closed on the low of the day. The yield 2.913% on the 10-year. The yield on the 30-year, 3.177. Now, initially... Stock market futures sold off. The Dow was down like 300 points and change when these hotter than expected inflation numbers came out and uh, the bond market was getting clobbered. But why didn't the stock market follow the bond market down? And of course, it's because the stock market didn't follow the bond market down that the bond market kept falling. And if the stock market doesn't fall, then the bond market will keep falling and interest rates will keep rising until it does, right? That is the, the dance that we're doing. But one reason may be the bad economic news that came out on retail sales, which is also why the Atlanta Fed and other people took down their forecasts for Q1 GDP, right? This was bad news is good news. Retail sales, which were up 0.4% for December, were revised to flat. They took away the entire gain. That means another downward revision to fourth quarter GDP, which is already going to be revised down based on the much bigger than expected trade deficits. So now we are really crashing. Remember, we had 2.3% is what the number is right now for last year. Based on these horrible numbers, we'll be lucky if it ends up being in the twos. The first year of the Trump administration could have GDP growth in the ones. Oh, my God. Everybody's talking about how great the economy is. And it was that lousy. We'll see. We haven't got those numbers yet, but they revised. They took that down from 0.4 to zero. And this month, January, instead of being up 0.3, was down 0.3. Down. I mean, retail sales fell. And what makes matters worse is retail sales fell even as prices were going up. And they still fell. So what that means is people are buying less stuff. They're just paying more money for the stuff they buy. What is this? Stagflation. This is it. This is where we're headed. Can't I, It's amazing. I watch it on the financial television. You know, nobody could see this coming. You know, it's like we've been in this bubble for so long. And all of these so-called experts, right, who, who never understood that it was a bubble, they don't know that it's popped. None of this has dawned on them because they never understood it. See, now, finally, it's all making sense. 
Everything that I've been warning about is now happening. But of course, the people who have been laughing at me and dismissing my warnings don't realize that it's all happening, right? I mean, again, this is exactly how I felt in 2007. I mean, go back and look at the, the TV shows that I did. I mean, I wish I was still doing them. I wish I was still debating these morons, but they won't let me on because, you know, it's not a fair fight. But look at all the stuff I was saying in 2007, 2008. Now, I had been saying that stuff in 2006, 5, 4, 3, right? But I was much more emboldened and much more sure that I was right because by early 2007, the, the subprime market had cracked. And that was part of my thesis all along. And once that happened, I was like, okay, I'm right. Now it's just a matter of time. It's all starting uh, to fall into place. All, the, the first piece of the puzzle is here. Now the rest of them are going to come. This is how I feel now. It's happening. The dollar bubble has popped. The bond bubble has popped. The stock market bubble has probably popped. So this is it. Three strikes, you're out. All U.S. financial assets falling simultaneously. Bonds, stocks, the dollar, all going down. And they've got so much further to fall. Gold, about to break out. Commodities, oil, up back above $60 a barrel. Up $1.60 a barrel today. Oil prices going up. I remember, you know, people were kind of dismissive of these hot CPI numbers because they say, well, look, oil's starting to come back down. No, it's not. It's not starting to come back down. And, you know, one of the reasons that all of this might be happening is what Powell said yesterday. Yesterday, and the market actually rallied off of this. Powell said, and I quote, the Fed will remain alert to risks to financial stability. AKA stock market, we got your back. The Powell put is back in play. That's what made the market go up. That's why the market didn't care about the bonds today. It didn't care about weak economic data or high inflation. They think they got the Powell put in their back pocket. That's why they're buying the stocks. Now, I think stock traders are being a little optimistic here. I do agree the Powell puts there. I just think the strike price is lower than they think, meaning I think there's going to have to be a bigger drop in the stock market in order for that put uh, to be, you know, activated, right? And so what's going to happen is interest rates are going to keep falling and the dollar is going to keep falling. Commodity prices are going to keep rising. We're going to keep getting these worse than expected inflation numbers and weaker than expected economic numbers. Now, I guess there's one of two possibilities uh, that can make the Fed relent. Either the stock market tanks and we get the pal put on the stock market, or the economy tanks, and then they base the, the, the change in policy on the weak economy. But also, you got to remember, these idiots at the Federal Reserve, they actually think that the stock market is the dog that wells the economic tail. They, they got it backwards, but they got, they got the cart before the horse. See, they actually think that by juicing up the stock market and creating a wealth effect, that that's what grows the economy. And when they see a big drop in the stock market and all that paper wealth evaporate, they get worried that there's going to be a recession. See, they don't actually get it's the other way around. To have a healthy stock market, it should reflect a strong, healthy economy. And if you have a strong, healthy economy, then stocks will be more valuable and the stock market will be, be going up. But you can't create a strong economy by strengthening the, the stock market, right? It's like, it's like false logic. It's like looking outside and seeing a bunch of wet sidewalks and then you notice it's wait, raining out. And you say, oh, the, the wet sidewalks must cause the rain, right? Instead of the other way around. So it's not like you can pour a bunch of water on a sidewalk 
and expect rain to then come out of the sky. But this is how the Fed is running its, its monetary policy. Right? That, 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 that's how they got this thing bass backwards. So if the stock market really falls, then they could, you know, well, we're cutting back rates because we're worried about this spilling over into the real economy. But however it happens, whether it's a stock market crash or an economic crash, whatever, the Fed is going to be uh, reversing policy. And I think they're going to do it before the midterm elections. I mean, maybe, I mean, maybe this thing could go on, but given the volatility that's here, given what's going on, the midterms are still a long term away. That's November. This is February. We got a long time between uh, November and February and a long time for this economy to tank and these deficits to blow out of the sky. And I can, I said, already see the script. Every Democratic candidate is going to run against the big spending Reckless Republicans, although they're not going to say it's because of big spending, even though they are big spenders. They are going to blame the deficits on tax cuts for the rich, tax cuts for the billionaires and the millionaires that we didn't even need. But it was a payoff to all Trump's buddies for electing him. And now we drove the car back into the ditch that Obama got out of the ditch that Bush put us in. I mean, everybody's going to run on that. Republican hypocrites, they wreck the economy, you know, they're millionaire buddies, corporations. I mean, this is it. It is, a, it is interest rates are going to spike. Inflation is going to spike. All of that, the misery index is coming back. It's going to be miserable. All of the Trump voters who were so enthusiastic and so excited about Trump making America great again, are going to, he, he's going to succeed in making them miserable. He was going to drain the swamp. And instead, it is deeper than ever. They just did nothing but pour water in that swamp. And now Trump is the swamp creature. The Republicans are the swamp creature. They got to get him out. That is what's coming. Hey, also, I want to remind everybody, I haven't talked about this in a while, but I know, it, I, I know it's coming up. It is the real estate guy, uh, Summit at Sea, Investment Summit at Sea, April 6th to the 15th. It is a cruise, and it's going to stop in Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico, where I live, where I am recording this. So, look, if you've never been on one of these cruises, you really should go. This is going to be, I think, my sixth cruise that I've been on. And the reason I go on these cruises is because I enjoy myself. I mean, the, the real estate guys, they got a great sense of humor. I have a lot of fun. This is a great group. I mean, they don't pay me anything to go on this cruise, right? So I'm not doing it because I want to get paid. I'm, I enjoy myself. And look, I'm not a big real estate investor, uh, but I got nothing against making smart real estate investments. And that's what these guys are all about. It's not about hype. It's about buying cash flow. It's about buying real estate that gives you a good return in the cash flow relative to what you pay. It's a lot of rental properties, syndication, things like that. The smart way to invest in real estate. And in fact, I think they're going to focus on some of the opportunities in Puerto Rican real estate, which have got to be amazing. Because, you know, this whole place was decimated by Hurricane uh, Maria, a little bit by Irma, but really Maria. A lot of people have left. A lot of property is in disrepair. There's a lot of foreclosures. This has got to be a real estate investor's paradise right now. Lots of people are coming to Puerto Rico. And by the way, if you move to Puerto Rico and then you develop some real estate and sell it at a profit, guess what? No capital gains tax, all tax-free. So I think we're going to do a special presentation on this cruise about the tax benefits, the unique tax benefits about moving to Puerto Rico. We're going to stop in Puerto Rico. We're going to have a day event. Everybody's coming to my house, right? I got a big house. I got plenty of room. They usually get about 150, 200 people, so, but I got the room. But we're going to have an event. People are going to see the community I live in. If you want to look at the real estate there, 
no distressed property here. This is all high-end stuff. Uh, but, you know, people might want to live here, but, you know, we'll, we'll host an event at my house. People can see, you know, my condo where I live, my community over here. But it's a great, it's a great cruise. There's going to be a, uh, a, I think, a one or two day conference before the ship sets sail on land. But you can actually just do that if you, if you want to, if you don't want to go on the, on the seven night cruise. Uh, but the cruise is a blast. The excursions are fun. The people are great. My wife will be there. My kids will be there. So, you know, come and join us. If you got some time, you know, and if you've never cruised, you know, we like it. Just go to cruisewithpeter.com. That's it. It's easy. You can sign up for the Real Estate Guys Summit at Sea, cruisewithpeter.com, and, and sign up while the tickets last. I'm not really sure how much more room they have because they don't want to let the, the thing get out of hand. You know, they got Robert Kiyosaki comes on that cruise. You know, I, I've actually grown to really like him because I've cruised with him a couple of times. And, and so I think he's a good guy. You know, Jim Rickards was on. I don't know if, I don't know if he's on this time. I can't remember. Mark Scowls was on one year. Uh, they've had some other good people, friends of mine who are speakers. Uh, Simon Black, uh, he's a great speaker. If you ever heard him talk. Um, and so he'll be there, I think, again this year. So if you haven't been, you know, cruisewithpeter.com. If you've been, you know, go on again. Get yourself another pepper. And if you don't know what I mean, it's because you haven't been on a cruise. And once you're on the cruise, then you'll get what I mean by the peppers. Anyway, but the stock market, the Dow was down over 300 points early in, in the morning. But by the end of the day, we ended up closing with a 250-point rally. Right? That is a big rally on a day where the bond market got killed. So again, the only explanation has got to be the pal put, right? People all of a sudden have gotten their arms around the fact that, well, I guess 3% yield on the 10-year is no big deal. And, you know, uh, the Fed has got our back anyway. And so they're buying the dip, right? Buy the dip. That's the mentality. They're not noticing the carnage in the dollar. They're not noticing the breakout or potential breakout. I still think we got to get above 1400 in gold. And we could be there very quickly. But they're not, uh, they're not looking at that. And they're also not looking at the deterioration in the economic landscape, how the growth story is rapidly unraveling, because the stock market is in for a one-two punch, right? Part of it is going to be rising interest rates, which are going to uh, reduce the valuation of stocks, because stocks are a function of interest rates. I mean, you're doing the present value of their future earnings, and obviously you discount that by whatever the interest rate is. Or, you know, and it's also stocks compete with bonds or with a risk-free rate. So as bond yields go up, then stocks on a relative basis look less attractive than bonds. So everybody is, you know, forgetting about that. That's going to hurt stocks. But the other thing is, and apart from the fact that rising interest rates also bite into corporate earnings because corporations have to pay debt, corporations have debt and they have to pay more on it as rates go up. So that actually impacts their earnings. But the other part of the earnings story is what if the economic growth isn't there? Right? Then, see, all this earnings is based on this great economic growth that the tax cuts are going to generate. But what if what the tax cuts giveth, the deficits taketh away? Right? Remember the old term crowding out? Well, that's what's happening. Right? All this investment that everybody assumes is going to happen because of the tax cuts, it's all going to be crowded out by the budget deficit. All going to be blamed, of course, on the Republicans. But, you know, now that the bond market has the green light to keep falling because the stock market is kind of OK with rising rates. Well, now we got to turn up the heat right now. we got to get higher. 
I don't think 3% is going to do it. I mean, I think the market pretty much knows we're going to get 3%. So we're at 2.913, we go to 3. But let's see what happens to the stock market when the bond market gets to 3.2 or 3.25. There's going to be another breaking point because bonds will keep falling and yields will keep rising until the stock market tanks again. And then we'll see what Powell does. Because I think that statement he made before, we're kind of on the lookout for financial stability, that's a little wishy-washy. I think he's going to have to have a little bit more behind that the next time the market tanks. He's going to have to say something more definitive to let everybody know that he's got everybody's back. That's why I'm saying that the put is there. The Fed will act, but I think they want to wait as long as possible because they're hoping they don't have to. You know, they're, they're still in denial. These clowns still think everything is okay. They still think their toxic medicine worked, right? They, they believe their own bullshit. That is the problem, right? They're just as crazy as everybody else. They're caught up in the headlines. They believe their own press. They think they're gods. They, they, think, they, they think they know what they're doing, right? I mean, they, you know, I was listening to a, a podcast with Bill Fleckenstein, our podcast. You know, the guy that had Fleckenstein on had invited me on to do that podcast. I, you know, I'm so busy. I might do it eventually, but I listened to it. And look, I listened for an hour. There's nothing he said that I disagree with. I mean, Fleckenstein's a great guy. In fact, I had Bill Fleckenstein write a blurb on my first book, Crash Proof, uh, because he was one of the only guys that I saw on television that I agreed with. And here it is, you know, how many years later, and I still agree with every word the guy says, right? And, you know, I mean, I'm not sure if he's agreeing with me or I'm agreeing with him. Maybe, I, I think he's older than I am, so I guess I'm agreeing with him. And I think he was on television before I was, so, you know, I, I kind of followed in his footsteps, not the other way around. But, I mean, he described it great, I, although I think I might have used the same analogy, so I don't know, maybe he took it from me, but I don't want to steal it from him. But he said, you know, these guys think they're the firemen that put out the fires, and they don't understand that they're the arsonists that light the fires. And that's exactly it, right? They're arsonists who think they're firemen, right? So, you know, they have got it all wrong. So they, they may not know what's going to happen, right? That's what happened in 2008. You know, I expected them to read the writing on the wall and pull the trigger on doing something long before they did. Remember, remember that uh, Jim Cramer, you know, they know nothing, they know nothing, right? You know, he was screaming that the Fed had better do something because everything was falling apart. Well, they knew nothing then and they still know nothing now. Where Jim Cramer was wrong was that doing something was wrong. Bailing out the markets was wrong. See, he just wanted to bail out the markets. He wanted to bail out his buddies on Wall Street. But he was pointing out rightly that the Federal Reserve had no idea how bad things are. Well, you know what? Kramer doesn't know how bad things are. He didn't know how bad things were back then either until they got a lot worse. And he still doesn't know. None of his buddies at CNBC know. And none of the guys at the Fed know. But you know what? They're scared out of their minds. And you know the happiest person there is right now? Janet Yellen. She is like, oh my God, I got out of Dodge. Hallelujah. Now I can go on the lecture circuit. And you know who else is happy? Is Barack Obama, because he got out of Dodge too. You know, Hillary Clinton, even though she lost, she should be happy too, <laughs> because it would have been even worse if she had won. Although, I you know, to, to, for my mind, I don't think she gives a damn about the country anyway. She just wanted to be president. But the person who's really glad is Bernie Sanders, or whoever he handpicks to be president in 2021. Look, I really hope that somebody primaries Trump if he even stays in it. But at this point, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if Trump runs again, if, uh, if Pence is the candidate. It doesn't matter who the Republicans nominate. They could nominate Abraham Lincoln, and he would lose. 
Nobody with a Republican is going to win in 2021. I mean, maybe Rand has a chance only because he stood up to these morons, uh, you know, in this speech and everybody crucified him for objecting and calling out the hypocrisy of this budget. But, you know, I don't know that he would be able to win against a, a sitting president or vice president or the Republican establishment, but he should primary anyway, just to set the stage for 2024. Because whatever Democrat takes over the White House in 2020, and they try massive government spending as, well, now we need the deficits, right? We were against the Republican deficits because their deficits were during good times. But now this is the worst recession since the Great Depression. Maybe, the wor maybe it'll be worse than the Great Depression. And so they're going to say we need even more government this time. We need even more money printing. We need to take over everything in the economy, right? You thought the Republicans drove it into a ditch. The Democrats or socialists are driving it into the Grand Canyon. And so then, finally then, maybe we'll have a chance to take this country back again. And maybe, finally, drain that swamp and make America great again. But before it gets great again, it is going to get a whole lot worse. And you better be prepared. I mean, this, this, as I said, this train is leaving the station. You better be on it. The next stop is uh, stagflation. Uh, gold's going to break out. The dollar's going to tank. You know, the economy's going to tank. You got to get your house in order. You know, thank God now we're opening up more new accounts than we're closing now. That started, I think, earlier this year, right? In January, we had net inflows. I'm, I'm glad. You know, last year was the opposite. My, unfortunately, I had a bunch of clients who decided that was a great time to sell their gold stocks, sell their foreign stocks, and pile into the U.S. stock market, right, just in time to get slaughtered. But now we're starting to see money's flowing in, clients are adding to their accounts. This is all good, right? If you don't have an account, get one started, right? See what is happening. This is major, major change. Don't believe me? Just look at a chart. Look at the dollar. Look at the bond market. Look at these breakouts and breakdowns and figure out where are these charts going. Look at gold. Look at the stock market. Look at these deficits about to blow out of control. Do the math, right? Just connect the dots, right? I'm trying to connect them for you. Pretty soon you won't have time. So add to your account at Euro Pacific Capital. You don't have an account at Euro Pacific Capital. Get on the phone as soon as you finish with this podcast. You know, go on Europac.com, start an online chat, get your account, get 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 your account going, transfer an account over here. Uh, you don't have any gold. Call my guys at Shift Gold. Buy yourself some gold. Go to goldmoney.com. I know, you know, I know a lot of people have complained about the customer service uh, at goldmoney.com. You got to give them a break. There's a lot of growing pains in building a new platform from the ground up. They have got an incredible service. Uh, they got to get some of the bugs out. They are working on that. They are improving that. It is a work in progress. But when they are finished, they will have the best platform devised for global payments. They will be able, people will be able to use gold as money easier than they've ever been able to use it as money before. This is the gold standard 2.0. It's not that crypto nonsense. This is the real thing, real gold that you can transact digitally. You can save it. You can spend it. You can earn it. This is going to work beautifully. So forget about the growing pains. Just deal with it. And you know, a lot of it is because of the compliance. That is the problem, right? All this nonsense that they make you do, all the hoops that they make you jump through, this is all about compliance. Look, you want to hear a story, you know, we get audited all the time at Europe Pacific Capital from FINRA. So these guys are really up my ass right now about my website. 
and they don't like what I'm saying. Of course, I've had these arguments with FINRA all the time, but now all of a sudden I can't seem to overcome it. Here's what they don't like about the Europac website. They say it's too one-sided. I say too many things without balancing it with the other side, right? Wait a minute. My website is full of my opinion. I'm telling people I think the U.S. economy is a mess. I think that the, the Fed is causing problems. I think the stock market is in trouble, right? So I'm negative on the U.S. economy, and they're saying I can't say that. I'm too one-sided. Do you think they go to Merrill Lynch and tell them you guys are too one-sided with all your bullishness? You keep talking about how the stock market's a great place to be and the U.S. economy's in great shape. You think they're telling Merrill Lynch, hey, you better put some gloom and doom on that site. You better, you better put the opposite side of the story on there. Why don't you have any of Peter Schiff's uh, outlook on your side? Of course not, right? This is, this is a double standard because I am negative on the economy, negative on the dollar, negative on the markets. FINRA is saying, oh, you can't do that. That's too one-sided. That's not balanced. So I'm going to have to take some of this stuff off my website. Also, they're looking at a lot of the stuff that I have from the past, like past commentaries, past talks that I did, or uh, reports that I wrote, or things like that. And they're saying, well, this stuff is too old and outdated. you got to remove this stuff. And I'm like, wait a minute. The reason I leave this stuff on the website, so I make a prediction on my website. Let's say I made it two years ago, five years ago. Everything I've ever written, is on my site. I, and I don't change a word. Now, why do I do that? I do that so there is a written record of what I said and when I said it. So people can go back and see, well, Peter Schiff is saying this today. What did he say two years ago? What did he say five years ago? What did he says 10 years ago? I want to be held accountable for what I said. And I'm not afraid of people saying, hey, you've been saying this for a long time and so far you're wrong. I'm like, you know what? eventually I'm going to be right. And when I am right, I want to be able to point to the fact that I was right 10 years ago. Not like I just figured it out, right? So I want, I want to be as transparent as possible. And they're saying, oh, no, you can't leave all that old data. That's outdated. I mean, it doesn't even make any sense. But I, look, I can't argue with these guys. I got too much to do. So if you notice at the Europe Pacific Capital site, a lot of content disappearing from the site. Uh, you know, it's not because I'm, I'm pulling it down because I'm embarrassed about it. It's like they're forcing me to do it. And there's a lot of stuff on my site that I think is informative and helpful. And they don't understand it. They just want me to take it off. And again, I've said this all the time. All these regulations on the brokerage industry, they don't make the brokerage industry better. They don't make it cheaper. They make it more expensive. And they, they destroy diversity of opinion and thought. It's a less competitive market. It is so anti-free market. All American investors would be better off if we had no SEC and no FINRA, right? If it was just caveat emptor, if it was just a free market. Look, Bernie Madoff stole a lot of money and the regulators never found out, right? The best protection is a vibrant, competitive free market, which is what the government destroys with regulation. If we had no SEC and we had no FINRA, there would be so many more brokerage firms out there with so many more uh, philosophies and opinions. People would have lots of a choice. And of course, there would be independent rating agencies like, you know, I don't like to say Standard Poor's and Moody's because they stink and they're regulated. But if there wasn't, you'd have like consumer reports, right? There's no problem. You have, you have these publications that rank uh, cars, that rank cell phones, that rank, you know, uh, television sets. So, you know, you can get third party opinions. So get rid of the government. Let's have some consumer reports. You know, these, these are the brokerage firms that, we, that meet our grade A standard or whatever. We don't need the government. The government sucks. The regulators are corrupted. They get corrupted by the firms they're regulating. You know who doesn't like what I have to say on my website? Merrill Lynch. 
Morgan Stanley, like my competitors that want to toe this bullish line, right? I think that's why I'm not invited on CNBC, to be honest. I think the big brokerage firms don't want me on. They complain because I know I'm good ratings. I mean, that I know. As I said, people used to tell me the only time I turn on the sound is when you're there, right? I mean, otherwise, I just have the ticker tape on. But the advertisers don't like me. They're all trying to pump their stocks, and I'm telling them it's a bubble. They're out there telling everybody how great everything is, right? And I'm saying these guys are wrong. So I think it's the advertisers, the sponsors that pressure these guys not to have me on because, you know, I rain on their parade. So here you have FINRA, you know, raining on my parade, trying to, uh, you know, keep this information. But you know what? They're not going to stop the truth from getting out. You know, I mean, I'm doing this podcast until they shut that down. I don't know. Uh, but I'm out there. It's all a bunch of fake news. No one is getting the truth. Everybody's getting all this nonsense, BS, propaganda, bubble talk. And you're getting the straight truth from me. And I'm going to manage your money. I'm going to give investment advice based on what I know to be true, not what a bunch of fools want to pretend is true. And they want to force everybody else to believe it, too, because that's how you keep the bubble going. It's all about psychology, right? you got to have more people buying into the nonsense to keep it going. And then, of course, when it all falls apart, what do they say, right? Nobody could have seen this coming. I saw it again today. I was watching these fools on television reminding people about 2008. And what did they say? Well, you know, nobody saw 2008 coming. Yeah, what am I, chopped liver? This was on CNBC. They say nobody saw it coming. Of course, I saw it coming. But that's why they don't want me on, because I remind them that I saw it coming, and none of those guys did. But they're going to say the same thing. Nobody saw it coming, but we're going to be able to call them out on their BS, because it's clear as a bell. I got a record. They can't whitewash that record. I've got, you know, what I have on, on my podcast and YouTube and what's on, you know, what I've been tweeting out. It's all there. That's why I'm saying spread the word, get your friends out there, get them listening to what I've got to say, get them listening to this podcast and get your friends to get their friends to do it, right? We got to continue to spread this. It's a ground floor grassroots movement of truth to get it out there because when it all falls apart and it's all blamed on capitalism and greed and the rich. I need this narrative to get out there. You know, they have an old saying that a lie can travel halfway around the world before the truth gets out of bed. Well, you got to help me get the truth out of bed.